0: Welcome to episode number 26 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded June 19th, 2019. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer.
1: I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. Uh, my background as a first responder has developed my mind for safety. Uh, I teach first aid, uh, coach family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now.
2: And my name is Hughes. Uh, hello from Canada's East Coast. Um, I'm a Canadian Forces uh, veteran, uh, current um First responder, uh, and I'm also a uh, uh, licensed private pilot with float endorsement, and a sports shooter and uh, target hunter, Or sorry, sports shooter and hunter. Sorry. No problem.
0: Uh, people will notice uh, that Ian is missing this evening. He uh, decided that the droves of fans he just couldn't deal with it, so uh, he's out and about uh, doing his thing. Something about high heels and uh, roosters and such. So Ian uh, is missing,
1: but we're not missing Ian.
0: Uh, Oh, oh, shots fired. (laughs) Uh, So, we've got some igniting content for you in this episode. Uh, We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Uh, Next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. And then we're getting to the main topic for this episode fire prevention.
1: Uh, I found an exceptionally short article, possibly the shortest news piece I've ever seen published. Uh, it's a small fire in southeastern Manitoba, um, a community I've never heard of. Steinbach, 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 somebody correct me on how that's pronounced. Um, it, was a, it was a fire that started in the middle of the night uh, it, and was started by a compressor overheating in a refrigerator. Um, I found that topical because it sh- it goes to show that fires can happen anywhere, anytime for any reason, and it's a good idea to wait, 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 be prepared for it.
2: Oh, there it is.
1: <laughs> That's all I got.
0: Awesome. Uh, Hughes, do you have an article?
2: Um, I do, yeah. So um, one that I, I wanted to share was uh, recently there, there's been a lot of talk in Canada about the uh, current... Liberal, uh, liberal government uh, banning certain types of firearms and uh, the word on the street was that they were going to do this through an order in council which didn't require them to uh, pass a bill through the senate and whatnot. Um, and the latest news on that is that the liberals are now I guess backtracking and shying away from uh, possibly banning handguns uh, more likely looking to ban assault rifles or assault weapons is what they're calling them probably like AR-15 and the most surprising piece of news to me is that they're looking to possibly do a buyback Um, and even offering up to $1,500 per rifle, which would cost taxpayers around $300 million dollars um, so one thing that um, kind of was an interest to me is that the and council was something that was supposed to come in early June. Now the Liberals are saying that um, because the government is going to be standing up soon and they're not going to sit down again until after the election in October, that uh, likely nothing will happen until then. Um, so we'll have to see what happens during the election and who comes out victorious um, to see if uh, any of these threats will be... Uh, Will actually come through fruition for the Liberals. Um, So, just some interesting news. I know a lot of uh, preppers are probably firearm owners as well. So, that's what I wanted to share there.
0: That's going to be interesting to see exactly how they play that out or if they're going to backpedal on everything or, or what actually happens. But Certainly my biggest fear has always
1: been that my guns will be sold for what I told my wife I paid for them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, that wouldn't be
1: 1500 $1, bucks a gun, that doesn't go very far, when you're, especially <laughs> when you're talking about ARs.
0: Oh, this is true. Uh, so I've got a couple of articles in here. Uh, so I've got one from the city of Edmonton in regards to uh, an audit report finds that gaps uh, in the city's emergency plan. Uh, so if you have a chance to breeze it over, links are in the, uh, the show notes, but... Basically, it turns out they did an audit and looks like uh, they needed to actually define specific roles for specific people. Um, so I guess they ran through a bit of a dry run and realized that um, people weren't 100% sure what it is they were supposed to be doing. Um, so they're looking at um, actually defining roles. So I figured that's something that we could take uh, take a lesson out of. Um, if you're putting a plan together uh, for your household or, or for your family or, or your workplace or wherever you're putting a plan together for uh, maybe having some, some basic defined rules or, or roles would uh, would be of assistance. And that way, um, you know, you're not assuming that the, your significant other is doing something and, and vice versa. It's just you already know that you have to do this one set thing. You both do your set jobs and, and away you go. So I figured that'd be a useful one to have people look over and kind of get the wheels turning. Uh, I had a couple actually sent and in. And also have a from, plan for what happened. Yep, yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, Also, make sure that you have a plan if you're going to do that. Have a plan for what happens if that one person is incapacitated. Yep, have a backup. Or it doesn't show up. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Uh, And I've got a couple here that actually were sent in by a listener uh, who requested to stay anonymous. So, uh, of course, we're going to respect that request. Uh, But they did send in a couple of articles that are actually quite... Quite good ones. Uh, one is in regards to the um, Toronto Raptors Parade in downtown Toronto uh, the other day, I believe it was Monday evening. Uh, there's actually, uh, the cell phone networks were overloaded. Uh, so kind so of I, guess, good, I don't know if it's, uh,
1: my, if it's my end or your end, but I'm getting absolutely terrible reception. Oh. I'm good here.
0: Can you, yeah, you can hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, in regards to the Raptor Parade, there was uh, cell phone networks were overloaded. So kind of a, a good time to see what would actually happen in a uh, scenario where there's a, a whole lot of people. I think it was estimated about 2 million people down by uh, Nathan Phillips Square. Uh, all of course have their mobile devices and uh, the networks were overloaded. So uh, link is in the show notes for that. But um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of the providers that indicated that um, they were seeing almost 10 times their normal volume uh, especially down the Nathan Phillips square area and uh, that definitely networks of uh, such that support the data network were, uh, were overloaded and were, uh, we're not operating as they would expect, but they were looking at 10 times the volume of, of people on the network to begin with. Um, so just something to keep in mind. We've uh, we've been saying that for a couple episodes now that uh, if you're in a grid down type of situation, everybody's hopping on their cell phones likely they might get overloaded. Um, seems like that is a possibility, but you know, Depends on how many people you got out and about as well. And then another one in regards to uh, 50 million people without power in uh, Argentina and Uruguay, but uh, not Venezuela. Uh, So that article goes to talk about um, Mm. how the power was out for for that many people. Uh, And it does mention that um, they don't suspect uh, any kind of um, cyber terrorism, but they're also not ruling it out. Uh, which kind of ties into our, our one listener there that emailed us a, an episode or two ago in regards to doing like a cybersecurity type of uh, episode. Uh, it's a possibility, right? Could happen. Uh, all the all the um, power grids are all hooked up There's a up whole Diary uh, movie about that. There is, yep. But uh, it's, it's certainly a threat and certainly something we got to think about. It's a possibility, right? Power outage could be caused by all kinds of things. And um, yes, yeah, cyber terrorism could be one of them. Uh, so another interesting article to just have a look at and- uh, like I said, they're all up in the show notes. So check them out and have a read. Uh, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. So for myself, uh, today I finished the uh, first aid training, uh, so I'm good for another three years, um, including tourniquet. Um, so the, the training that we do at work includes uh, tourniquet training, um, Israeli bandages, standard first aid, like Level C, you know, adult infant child type of
1: CPR, all that,
0: uh, all that good stuff. So good to go again for another three years. So
2: awesome. Good stuff.
1: Excellent. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been spending a lot of time working the last uh, six or seven days, uh, focusing a lot on yard work. I've, I've uh, got water that runs into my house. So I'm uh, redirecting it away from the foundation. It's uh, it's an old property and the road's been built up. So the road kind of slopes down to my yard. So uh, I've been focusing on that because uh, I I'm kind of tired of water in my basement. So um, also, getting ready for a, uh, a cross-country tour. I'm taking the kids uh, kids out east in a couple of days or a couple of weeks for a uh, um, for a four-day camping spectacular, is what we're calling it. I'll be out in uh, out in rural New Brunswick, which is the New Brunswick part of New Brunswick, and uh, getting that uh, getting you know getting some some family some good quality family time. But got to figure out how to survive twenty hours in the car first.
2: Good stuff. Uh, for myself, I, uh, this is something I do, uh, twice annually. I repacked, uh, my bug out bag and my get home bag. Um, so the, the bug out bag essentially is the one that I keep at home. Um, uh, you know, in case I have to, um, leave the home for, whatever natural emergency or disaster is happening. So I did that and I did the get home bag, which is a much smaller bag that I keep in my truck. Um, And basically that just consists of going through the whole bag, unpacking it, looking at what needs to be updated, like typically batteries, um, you know, energy bars and all that kind of stuff. um, Refresh all that. Um, and then change out um, the clothing and whatnot because obviously it's not cold weather uh, here anymore. So I can I have an opportunity to lighten the bag for uh, the warmer months. Um, so yeah, so that's an exercise I do twice a year. Uh, I'll be doing it in the fall to uh, update the bag to the winter state, um, so to speak. And then I also took an opportunity to go through, I have a trauma kit in my truck as well as a defibrillator. Um, so I made sure that the battery was good, good on that, went through all the meds and all that kind of stuff, make sure all that stuff was still good. So. Uh, did that on Saturday It took me probably three or four hours. I thought I was (laughs) in (laughs) everything. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I did, uh, this past week there.
0: Awesome. Well, maybe we'll, uh, move into the main show. Let, uh, let the two. All right. Fire safety. I'll take
1: over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so man, where do we start? Fire safety, uh, prevention, always better than cure. Of course, um, I think everybody's probably familiar with the threats, right? You need, uh, you know, fire. Fire is a, a good servant, but a bad master. So as long as we've got it under control, fire is our friend. Uh, provides heat, cooks our food, provides light, keeps the boogeyman away, um, all of those wonderful things. But under um, un, when one is not controlled under the wrong conditions, it can be absolutely devastating. We've, you know, we're we're seeing on the west coast there are all kinds of brush fires and wildfires that are happening. Um, so one of the big things, um, you know, most most preppers are outdoorsy types or have um, have plans to be outdoorsy types. So um, keep your fire contained. Uh, most brush fires or wildfires start by embers spreading. Um, that happens when your fuel load, right, your fire, your flame, your visible flame, and the embers get high up above your uh, above your containment area. So if you've got a, you know, you've dug a hole, you've got a fire pit, you've got, you know, surrounded by rocks, whatever. If those embers get up above that level they get carried by the wind, you get enough embers and enough dry, you know, enough dry material around you enough dry fuel, then you've got, you've got a condition for a, for a big fire that you can't control. Um, so that's kind of one of those, one of those, you know, number one prevention tips is don't start wildfires. Um, you know, they, they don't do any good. Um, if you don't, you know, if you can keep your fire small, keep it contained. Um, the, uh, the Dakota fire is actually a really good one for, for being outdoors because it digs right down under the, under the root system and it makes it very difficult to get too big. So that's, that's one thing there. Um, within your home garage or building your walls, floors, and ceilings can become fire separations. Um, the way that modern houses and mo- modern buildings are built is that drywall becomes a fire separation. So drywall is made of gypsum, which releases heat slowly or absorbs heat slowly, releases moisture and doesn't burn. It will eventually crumble, but it doesn't burn. It gives you multiple hours of fire rating. Um, a couple of things to note. One of the, one of the things that I learned and um, we can go back to the conspiracy episode of, you know going back way uh, way back at the tinfoil episode. Wood studs, when they are when they when they're exposed to heat will burn, but in most cases they will char and then stop. Steel, however, steel studs, it's true that they won't melt, but they weaken very quickly. So it only takes a couple hundred degrees for a for a steel stud to become weak. And then when you add it, when you add the load of uh, as a load of the house on top of it, they can, they can cause collapse a lot faster. So that's one of the, one of the things to be aware of when you're with building construction.
2: And, uh, if I could just Um, add to that, Alan, um, we have, uh, in my community here as, as a firefighter fighter as well, we have a lot of, um, two types of construction. So we have the older style, uh, balloon type construction, uh, for the homes, um, Typically, most of these are true dimensional lumber. Um, those are the ones that take a lot longer to uh, collapse because it takes a lot longer for the fire to eat through all that wood and all that kind of stuff. Homes like mine, for example, which is a new lightweight construction, <clears throat> um, they're stronger in a lot of aspects, but not when it comes to taking heat. So, For, for example, um, the engineer trusses I have in my attic, uh, they're basically laminated um OSB that are held with gusset plates. So basically what, what happens is that when heat is applied to these, the actual um, the you'll have a delamination of the beams uh, which basically means that they structurally fail a lot quicker. So for new construction, uh, when it's exposed to heat and fire, typically we give it five to seven minutes before there's a collapse whereas with the older homes that have these this true dimensional lawn lumber, this, this, this framing and boarding on the outside of the homes, you're looking at upwards of 15 to 20 minutes before you have a collapse even more um so you really have to understand you know what you're going into what type of construction you're dealing with and whatnot and again i mean it could be stronger more wind resistant uh, but it's definitely not more fire resistant
1: and it's another kind of small point but it's an important one that like, older homes were built with true dimensional lumber so it's physically larger but it's also it also tends to be old growth lumber and old growth lumber is, is denser, so it, it takes longer to actually set it alight. Uh, for it yep. to actually start combusting than the then the you know this the the newer the newer younger stuff so like the 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 joists in my you know the, or the the studs in my hundred and thirty five year old house are all super dense super tight not like super tight whereas the you know the new studs that I'm seeing and I mean I work in the lumber industry um and you get you know you'll get maybe five or ten years of growth rings as opposed to 50 or 60 years of growth rings. Yep. Um, so it changes the density of the uh of the wood a lot which also you know the the less dense the wood the faster the faster it'll burn
2: yeah it's all cheap pine right so
1: yeah well i mean it's not even pine well it's pine i guess it's spruce like it's it's a very lightweight it's very light. uh very open open cell like i mean when we're getting down to the cellular level um it'll it'll all burn a whole lot faster than the older stuff that's kicking around so um depending on when your house was built what it was built from um you know you've got you've got a, a huge a huge potential problem so let's talk about what to do about that um Number one, I mean, assess your threats. What, what causes what causes fires in your house? You've got to apply heat. I mean, I think everybody, again, everybody who's a prepper understands the fire triangle. And I won't get into the fire tetrahedron because it, yeah. we just don't have enough time. But the fire triangle is the basic fuel oxygen heat source, fuel oxygen ignition source. And you have to take away one of those to put the fire. You have to have all three to create a fire. You have to take one of those away to put the fire out. So what in your house can cause Those three things to happen. Well, we've always got air in the we've always got air in the in in the house. There's there's no such thing as a house vacuum. House that is a vacuum, although all houses have vacuums. Um, There's there's fuel loads everywhere. I mean, we've got you know we from from our cooking oil to the to the the studs and the and the floors and the the furniture. Everything is fuel. And then you've got heat sources. You have um, you have your your hot water tanks and your your furnaces and wood stoves and your ranges and ovens and microwaves and all of those things can become a source of ignition. So the the risk is there and depending on how you do things, your risk may be higher, your risk may be lower, but the risk is always there. So number one is keep everything up to date, right? Like have your, have your stuff inspected, make sure that it's all in good working condition, especially chimneys. Um, Ian left kind of a list of questions. Uh, One of them was about, was about wood stoves. Um, wood stoves, chimneys specifically are, are the, are the big one. Um, any kind of, anytime you've got a smoke buildup, you've got carbon monoxide problems, but, um, something that is is often not considered if you're not part of the fire service is that smoke in itself is combustible, smoke is fuel. So if you get too much buildup of smoke and then the right combination of oxygen and heat, that can become what is often referred to as a backdraft or a flashover or a smoke explosion, depending on the circumstances, but um, things can go south really, really quickly. Um, so keep your chimneys clean, keep the exhaust clean. As long as that's working, then you should be all right. What else you got for me, Hughes? You've been doing this longer than I have. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, for the average homeowner, a um, couple tips that, you know, I I preach here. Um, and these are ones that are not very expensive to do. So, if you have a two story home, um, do yourself a favor. Go to a place like Home Depot or Kinetar or whatnot. Um, you can get a collapsible ladder or rope ladder that you can hang out of a window. Um, and yeah, you can jump out of the window, but, you know, this is how you break legs and all that kind of stuff, right? So, for, you know, 50 or 60 bucks, get one of these ladders. Um, you can get out safely from a second story. You know, this is if your house is already on fire. Um, another thing is that, you know, extinguishers are expensive. Um, you get a dry chem extinguisher that's, you know, 10 or 20 pounds, you're looking upwards of 100 bucks. Um, so what I did, and and this could be a good tip for a lot of people here, is is look on places like Kijiji, um, look at um, places um, that do um, use building supplies and what whatnot, and you could find... Um, you know, used oftentimes spent uh, dry chemical extinguishers and you could pick them up for 10 or 20 bucks a piece, bring them to a place like Tyco Safety um, and you can have them refilled for 25 to 30 bucks each. So for an investment of about 40 bucks, you've got, you know, a 10 or 20 pound dry chem extinguisher Um, And to give you an idea, I mean, you know, I can put out a fairly substantial fire. Um, I'm talking about a contents fire in a room with just a five pound extinguisher, right? If you know how to use a dry chem extinguisher, five pounds will go a long way, 10 or 20 pounds is is a lot of firepower right so what i did is i i ended up investing about 200 to buy a couple used extinguishers um i got them refilled and safety checks and whatnot at tyco safety there's a lot of companies in your area that probably do this 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 kind of stuff and i put one in you know one in the kitchen one in the basement one in the garage one in our bedroom Um, so, and then I keep one in the truck as well. I keep a a 20 pound in a truck. Um, so, you know, that's, that gives you the ability to wherever you are in a house, have substantial firefighting power with just that, that 10 or 20 pound extinguisher. Um, and then, you know, if you live in a rural area, like I do, um, two things that I've done. And these are a little bit more involved, uh, but I've gotten a set of sprinklers. And what this is, is basically it's it's uh, it's uh, 10 sprinklers that you place around your property, um, and you can feed them from your municipal uh, water source if you have enough. But I'm on a well, so I can't, uh, but there's a stream next to it to, to me. So what I did is I, uh, I bought a used wick pump, and what a wick pump is, is basically just Um, a firefighting pump that runs off a two cycle engine Um, they're pretty expensive new you're probably talking three to four grand but you can pick them up used um, oftentimes on uh, government surplus sites Um, so I pick one of those up and that that two cycle with pump is able to feed um, the sprinkler system that I can put around my property And the purpose of that is is that if there's a forest fire in the area um, eh, what I can do is I can use the sprinkler system to either direct the water at my house to douse it with water so that if the fire comes near my my property any embers that land on my roof which is you know shingles uh, or on my siding which is vinyl uh, because of the water that's raining down on the house the embers won't actually catch house on fire so everything around my house might burn but hopefully my house will be spared the other thing i can do is i can direct the sprinklers to uh, basically spray the edge of the woods around my forest or sorry, the edge of the woods around my property which means that if a fire does come near the property Um, it would hit this very wet, very damp um, section and hopefully get slowed down enough or stopped before it even reaches my property. Um, So this is something that, you know, for $400, you can buy this set of tent sprinklers. um, And then if you could find yourself a, a wick pump, I mean, you sell these things at places like Princess Auto in Canada or Harbor Freight in the U.S., um, you can pick up these firefighting pumps, these gas powered for firefighting pumps, if you have a water source uh, for you know relatively cheap. um if you get them at Princess Auto or whatnot, you're looking at like four or five hundred dollars. Um, and that gives you the ability to you know protect your property in the event of um, a forest fire or if you're looking at stuff inside, like like I said, you know you don't have to go buy brand new gear. um you can buy use extinguishers and um, get them recertified, get them refilled, and they're, they're gonna be just as good as buying the new stuff.
1: Well, that leads me to another point. If you, especially if you live in a, an area that's threatened by wildfires, make sure that your property is clear. I know Ian's been talking about that for the last few months. That that's a lot of what mm-hmm. he's been doing is clearing as much space as he can, so he's got as much um, as much area between his between his house and uh, and and the fuel as possible. Because if you can have a you know a, fit, a, a thirty to fifty foot stretch of just you know rocks and things that won't burn and then you know you've got another bare patch of grass and then you've got forest um it's nice to live directly in the trees but it's less nice when those trees catch fire and then by extension um Burn your house
2: down so yeah um, and the thing too you've got to think about like you know when i when i picked my house um i picked it because that's what i could afford at the time not necessarily because that's exactly the house that i wanted so you know having vinyl siding means that you know um if if a forest fire comes close enough to my house the embers don't actually have to touch the house in order to catch on fire the radiant heat of the fire um could catch the siding on fire or actually sorry it would melt the siding the siding would catch on fire and then the rest of the house would go right um, so, I mean, ultimately the house is insured, the possessions are insured and all that kind of stuff, but whatever I could do to limit the damage, um, you know, for a few hundred dollars, you can get the peace of mind of, you know, hopefully being able to prevent your house
1: from being consumed by, by fire. Uh, it's it's great to have insurance, but it's a whole lot better for, to not have your house burned down in the first place.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, those are, those are some tips that, you know, and, and it, you know, you don't have to start off with five extinguishers, even if you just start off with one. Um, and you make it easily accessible. Everybody in the house you know, that can use it knows how to use it um, so that they can effectively put out a content fire um, is probably a, a great step. I mean, you know, as a firefighter myself, I go to a lot of calls in a lot of homes that, you know, the, 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 the homeowners don't have working um, smoke alarms. Um, they don't have fire extinguishers in a home and all that kind of stuff. So really, um, you know, like that's that's another thing that we have. So we have um, wired in because it's code here uh, where, where I live and probably most across most of Canada is I have wires the same way. OK, so wired in smoke detectors that have a battery backup. Um, and then we have one that's centrally monitored by our alarm company. Um, and then I went one step further and I installed, um, a ionizing smoke detector in each one of the kids' rooms. So even though there's one in the hallway, having one in each one of your children's rooms or each one of the bedrooms gives you a couple more minutes, hopefully, uh, warning if, if a fire does start in one of those rooms. And although I've tried to remove any ignition source from those bad bedrooms, there's still electrical outlets, you know? Um, there's there's always a possibility of, of something shorting out or whatnot um, and starting a fire in the, the room. And I think um, having, you know, a, a relatively inexpensive uh, smoke alarm, I mean, you could pick up two packs at Costco for 20 bucks, Um, you know, install them in the room, and, you know, it will buy you um, a couple extra minutes if there is a fire that starts in one of those rooms, especially if the rooms have, if the bedrooms have um, uh, doors that are closed
1: at night, right? Um, that was... Two, two more. That you already have two more points. So one is to keep your doors closed. What we know about doors closed is that it will slow the spread of fire. It will slow the spread yeah. of smoke. Um, so smoke is the far bigger threat in any kind of uh, compartment compartmentalized fire like that. Um, it displaces oxygen, and that that's what kills us. It, more more than more than burns and heat. Um, so that's a really important thing: is keep your doors closed. Uh, it will it will minimize the spread. Um, and the other, the other point was talk with your local, talk with your insurance provider and your local fire department. And there's a really good chance. Uh, my insurance company came through earlier this year and, you know, left three, three, three additional CO detectors and two additional smoke detectors that I had no, I, I didn't specifically think I had a use for, but he said the more the merrier. And yeah, I can't that's a really great argue point. that point.
2: I know. I know. My fire department here. Um, we do a lot of commu- a lot of community outreach. I mean, if we go to a call, we notice that somebody doesn't have a working smoke alarm um and it's it's not because they don't want to have one but it might be because you know that's not something that they can afford right then um we keep some spare ones on the truck that we will you know happily install in, in inside of their, their home right and we, we, do, we do exactly that, the same thing yep. yeah if it's something that we think that you know fire prevention can, can come in um and and do a little bit more help like install more smoke detectors and what we have on the truck and all that kind of stuff you know and and most fire departments do this i know at least in in the province of nova scotia this is a thing that we go out do uh public education all that kind of stuff. stuff so you know it doesn't hurt if if you need a smoke alarm and you you know it's not in your budget right now call your fire department call your local uh counselor and and see if there's something that you know the municipality can do to help you when it comes to that kind of stuff right um that's that's a great point alan
1: yeah so that's and that's like that's that's one of those life-saving things that is um that is just like it's it's worth it i mean if uh, find find a way whether it's you know yep. whether you make room in your budget for it or whether you you know reach out to the, reach out to the resources that, that you have because there are resources available, um, but make sure that you make sure that you have that. Um, I want to hit back on extinguishers. We we talked about we talked about extinguishers. There are a whole bunch of kind whole bunch of different types. Uh, I mean there there are few few basic ways to put out a fire. Right. We talked about that fire triangle. It's actually part of our logo. <laughs> we got the we got the triangle around the fire. Um, so a few basic ways to put out the fire. You want it, You need to either exclude the oxygen. You need to cool it to a point where there's no longer enough heat to sustain it, or you need to uh, remove the fuel. Um, your basic bucket of water on a fire, that's cooling it to a point where it's no longer where, where it's it's, no, it's below the ignition temperature. Any um, any all of your cookware, and we talked about uh, we talked about you know. Um, Cast iron in the last episode, but all of your cookware. Make sure you have a properly fitting lid for it. If something if something catches fire, put the lid on. Um, There are a million videos out there of what happens when you put water on a grease fire. Don't do it. Don't try. Actually, I tried to ignite a grease fire for the video for this uh, uh, for this product that that I'm about to talk about. Found it exceptionally difficult, but I also know how hard it is to put out a grease fire. So don't put water on a grease fire. Exclude the oxygen. Put the lid on it. If you put the lid on it, it burns itself out really, really quickly. Um, so if you've got a good fitting lid for all of your cookware, that's a, that's a really easy way to to, to make a, a potentially enormous problem into a minor inconvenience. Um, we talked about having fire extinguishers. Um, where you put them in your house, make sure that where you're putting them is between your biggest threat and the exit so that you're not backing yourself into a corner trying to find your fire extinguisher. Discover that you can't put it out with what you have and then you get trapped. So make sure that you're you've always got a, a route of escape before you try and fight a fire, um, and that brings us to um, Canadian Prepper Podcast very first um, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. product review. Here we are. Yep. So this is a really cool. This is a really cool thing that I that I found. I, I see what we can see there. This is called Stop Fire, not Fire Stop. Stop Fire uh, by a, a Canadian distributor is called Reynold Max. The notes, the the show notes have a link to them. Um, this stuff is pretty cool. This is a, uh, this is what we call an a triple F, uh, extinguisher. So this has, uh, this is rated for solids, liquids, live electrical circuits, and, uh, class K fires, which is, uh, cooking grease fires. Um, a is aqueous film forming foam, which I learned recently. You have to be able to say five times fast in order to pass the, um, the firefighter certification, uh, <laughs> Aqueous film-forming foam is uh, um, is one of the most efficient ways to put out the biggest number of fires possible. So this is the very same stuff that we carry on fire trucks um, in approximately three percent three percent concentration. For all those nerds out there that that know about things like that, um, this, however, is air. So the difference between this and the air and like a dry chemical uh, extinguisher is that this is an aerosol. So once with a dry chem extinguisher, you squeeze it once; it has to be recharged no matter what with this um it has about a 20 second discharge time 19 to 20 second discharge time i just need a little spray a little spritz like a like a um, a can of hairspray and uh hairspray is where i went with that not you know cooking yeah, spray not wd-40 i'm gonna go i'm gonna take that back and go with wd-40 uh, <laughs> some, kind some kind of, of lubricant old,
0: the high heels you were wearing last episode
1: you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so like a can of lubricant, it just needs, it just needs a little spritz. And then the rest of the material inside is still good. So, um, I'll put, uh, I'll put a couple of videos up on the, uh, on the YouTube channel of me putting this out. I took it out to the backyard. There's um, really terrible cell phone camera footage of me, you know, trying to light a grease fire and then eventually just setting some paper on fire and putting it out with this foam. Um, and it, uh, it, like it's super fast. It's super efficient. Um, it, it puts out fires in a lot of ways, but, um, Yeah, it's actually, it's really cool. And um, super bonus. So if you go to their website, again, it's in the show notes, but it's Uh, rentalmax.com. Sorry, rentalmax.net. The Canadian Canadian distribution is from a couple of people in Quebec. They're actually firefighters as well. Uh, Met them at a conference. They're super nice people. Um, They were really cool to send us this out and uh, let us review it. And they have given us and the listeners uh, a discount code. So if you go to their site and you want to and you want to buy this you can buy this off the shelf at Lowe's and Rona uh, is there is there a retail distribution or you can go to their website at Reynoldmax.net, which is r e i n o l d m a x.net um go to their go to the buy online go to their check. when you check out enter the coupon code cpp10 that's Canadian Prepper Podcast 10 and that'll get you 10% off your um, 10% off your purchases of really fantastic uh A triple F fire stop uh stop fire something else that's kind of cool about this I like this but again it's because I'm nerdy comes with (laughs) comes with a wall mount the wall mount actually glows in the dark so if I'm trying to find if I'm trying to find it in a hurry the lights are off the power's out I can still find it pretty quickly so that uh I'll put it back here in a dark corner you can kind of you can see that's glowing there. Um so that's kind of neat that it actually comes in that there's there's a larger size as well for for larger fires. Um about the only thing that i would caution on this and it says it on it says it in the product information on the website as well is that because it is um an aqueous base right it is a water-based solution uh don't leave it in your car in the winter because it will freeze and then it's and, no uh, i was happening.
2: reading up on the product alan i noticed that uh, for some reason uh it's prohibited in,
1: in, in alberta so it's i don't prohibited know why in alberta, i was i was reading why it's because there's no specific um classification for it
2: Got so it. there's a, okay. there's a classification uh-huh. for
1: dry chem, there's a classification for wet chem, but there's no classification for a stored pressure A triple F. And so because Got there's it. no classification, it doesn't fall within any specific um, yeah. rule. So it's not that it's prohibited from use, it's just that it's not approved for use in Alberta.
2: Or approved for sale. So probably.
1: in that and well, I, I wouldn't say it's prohibited for sale, it's just you can't use it in a place where Um, where it's mandated. So at home where there's no mandate for a fire extinguisher, then you can use that. But if you were in a workplace, there's no then it would, it wouldn't meet this it wouldn't meet Alberta standard for it. And that's a temporary issue. They've gotten approval in a lot of other places. Um, something that I found kind of interesting about this is that it's actually Lithuanian. Um, it, there's not a whole lot of industry in Lithuania, um, but that's, that's one of the things that comes out of there. Uh, and it's been this, this particular setup has been in use uh, across the pond in Europe for 15 to 20 years. Uh, so it's got a pretty significant track record. Um, I mean, in my rather limited experience of putting out fires, I'm impressed with how quickly it went, it, it, it put it out. So I'll put the, I'll put the, put the video up on the, uh, on the YouTube channel, uh, make it, I'll, I'll get that up this afternoon after we're done recording. And, uh, awesome. that's, oh, that's kind of cool. So that's kind of our, our first product review and, and it's, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really neat product. And, um, Benoit, who's the, uh, who's the distributor there. He's out of, uh, he's one of the, um, one of the firefighters that distributes this, he's uh, he's been super helpful, answering all my questions, and um, he's he's one of those people that just wants this product in people's hands to use because he knows that it, he knows that it works. Yeah, they, um, they have a couple of cool videos. There there are a few videos out there if you want to want to find them on uh, um, find them on their website. They've got a, they've got a few videos of them putting out you know grease fires really really quickly. Um, turns out I'm either a really excellent firefighter or a really poor fire lighter because I was not able to get. <laughs> Uh, I was not able to get a, uh, a grease fire going, um, but I ended up uh, just lighting some paper on fire, putting it in the pan, and uh, and putting that out. And you can see how quickly it uh, how quickly it goes out. So,
2: I just um, that's
1: that's a pretty slick thing
2: just want to mention another point too, um, I know that in, in our area here, so there's a lot of new construction and we do a lot of pre-planning um, for this, this new construction and we go in as the homes are being built um, to understand the construction, the layout, um, just to have an idea of what uh, we could be faced with if we get a call there. And- one thing I've noticed is a lot of their new homes, developers are putting in sprinkler systems in these homes. Um, and I was asking some of the developers questions about it, and they said, you know, it costs, it's, it's about a $1,200 option in a new construction. Um, it's a lot more expensive to retrofit an existing home. Um, the great thing about this is that so it, we- you know, it'll run off your, uh, your well or your municipal, um, water supply. Um, the actual heads, so the sprinkler heads actually are, um, hidden inside the ceiling. Um, and there's oh. these little plastic caps that are basically that you can paint. So you can paint the, the, the plastic caps. Um, and what happens is that once they sense heat, they actually push down through the plastic cap. Um, and then they'll put out a content or room uh, fire. And, you know, I, I do see the old Hollywood thing that if one sprinkler goes, they 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 all go, right? And that's that's not true. Each one of the sprinkler heads are individually con- controlled or set, set off. So, I mean, if you have one sprinkler head per room or two per room, depending on the size, if you have a content fire in that room, um, you know, once you get enough heat, the sprinkler head will pop down through the plastic cap, put out the content fire, typically before the fire department even gets there, right? So it does limit... Uh, the amount of damage that a fire can do. Um, now you're going to have water damage, but you'd have that anyway if the fire department show, shows up and actually you know puts out the fire and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I thought for a new home construction for $1,200, that's really not a bad deal. And uh, they were saying too that a lot of uh, the people building these new homes are getting discounts from their insurance of up to about 15 to 20 percent because of the fact that they're installing the um, sprinkler system. So although you know it's a $1,200 expense up front. When you're talking about homes that are three four five hundred thousand dollars it's it's really not that big of a cost and the fact that you could save you know 15 to 20 percent on your home insurance cost because you are sprinklered um that's something to think about right so absolutely yeah, it's, well. it's
1: it's certainly becoming a lot more prevalent um, just as an aside if you go to those bill bu- if you go to those builders um, most of them are more than happy to to give you the plans for their for their models yeah uh, they only build five or six models at a time and that way you've got you can you can tell from the outside for the most part what models they what models you're, you've got and you've got the floor yeah floor. So, and i think kind of think, a kind uh, of a, an aside there
2: the biggest revelation to me in in the construction is that um you know like uh my parents-in-law their their home is about 30 years old and they basically have you know solid wood boards on the outside um, I've got OSB, which is oriented strand board, which is basically like sheets of plywood, essentially, and the new homes have have nothing. So you basically have your vinyl siding, you have your one-inch foam board, um, and then you have your two-by-six construction, which basically has insulation in it, and then you got drywall on the other side. There's the vapor barrier piece as well, but essentially, I could break through a house with an X-Acto knife, because I just cut the vinyl siding, I cut the foam, I rip out the insulation, I cut the drywall, and I'm through the wall. Um, so, wow. you know, what, what you would typically need either an axe or a saw to get through either the boards or the um, uh, the plywood you don't you don't need that anymore because a lot of these homes don't don't have it <laughs> it's a way for them to save costs and add insulation because by adding a one-inch foam board it's it's more insulating than plywood um, but yeah it's uh, you know why wipe us down a door and you can break in with an exacto knife um, so that was so interesting the,
0: as well so that that just destroy yeah, our lock it is episode.
2: Uh, I, yeah, some, <laughs> somewhat, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, it, it certainly is a valid point. Um, another um kind of thing, and you mentioned the OSB, so the oriented strand board is essentially chips of chips of wood held together with glue. Uh, and, and you you alluded to it earlier, Hughes, that um osb and like modern construction because of that because they're using such high contents of glue and low contents of you know solid lumber um your house burns a whole lot faster again i mean
2: structurally Um, osb is is strong i mean it oh it's fantastic it's fantastic but as
1: soon as until until it gets hot
2: it delaminates right and that's that's the problem with it so
1: yeah, so it's just something to be aware of that if you're, uh, especially in your basement, if you have, uh, if you have floor, if your floor joists are OSB, um, it's not a bad idea, especially around your, um, especially around your furnace and your water heater, or anything fuel burning in the basement. Um, put a couple of layers of drywall up to, uh, to slow down the, slow down the heating process.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: All right, guys, maybe a couple of newbie questions here for you. Uh, just because I know nothing about uh, fire prevention or anything like that. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of listeners out there, same, uh, same boat, uh, any recommendations for a fire extinguisher size for just like a regular general household?
2: Uh, you know what? I'm probably going to go with, um, five pounds, um, okay. five pounds is, is manageable for both, um, uh, people of, of large and small stature, I guess. Right. Um, it's, it's easy to wield, um, it's yeah. I think five pounds is probably the 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 ideal size. Um, you know, ten and twenty pounds, you you have a lot more firefighting power, so to speak. I mean, you're you're literally doubling or quadrupling the amount of um uh dry chem that you have in there, right? But at the same time, I, I think five pounds is is a good number. I don't know, Alan, what do you think about that? Yeah,
1: I think I think that's a, that's a reasonable number. Um, this guy here again, I'll go back to our uh, go back to our stop fire can. Um, this is you know, in a 500 gram container is equivalent to a three pound fire extinguisher, like that's, a three pound hmm. dry cap. That's really good. So that's, huh. I mean, you can, you know, and this is literally like this, the size of a can of uh, a can of lubricant, a can of cooking spray, a can of whatever, right? it, it weighs a few, you know, it weighs 500 grams. It weighs like a quarter of a pound. Um, and that's like, that's all, you know, that, that's all it takes to, uh, to put out, you know, a fairly, a fairly substantial fire. Like, the, like a three pound, a three pound extinguisher will do, uh, will do enough to, to at least buy you time to get out or, whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I think a five pound is five pound would probably be the max for the average, for the average user. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've practiced with it or drilled with it at all, then a 10 pound might be worth it. Uh, The biggest, the biggest challenge with the, with the larger extinguishers, it tends to give people a confidence that, um, that they have more time, which if you're not prepared for, to, to further for the fire to not go out um can put you in a position where now you're covered in dry chemicals there's less oxygen in the atmosphere and the room is still on fire and you've been there for 15 or 20 more seconds
2: Fair uh, enough. yeah and i just want to mention on the extinguishers too and i, I know um uh, so so the one thing is that if you have a dry cam make sure that every couple of weeks or every couple months that you kind of flip it upside down flip it back because what happens is that that dry cam powder. Um, if it's not agitated or moved after a while, it becomes a, like a solid concrete block in there. And what I've seen happen is that, you know, when the extinguishers are not serviced regularly or, you know, flipped around to get the dry chem uh, powder to move inside the extinguisher, when it becomes a solid block of concrete, um, you know, the gauge will read it, still, still has pressure in there, but people will pull the pin um depress the the handle uh, and noth- essentially just air will, will 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 come out because essentially you're releasing the pressure but it's not able to suck the dry chemical powder through the tube. So what I do is I take my 5, 10, and twenty pound extinguishers. And I basically flip them upside down. I'll put my ear to it so that I can actually hear the powder moving within the extinguisher, and I know that at that point it's not it hasn't become a solidified block of you know concrete. Um, and you know, full transparency, I don't have my personal extinguishers reserviced every year, but I'm also not obligated to have them here in my home. Um, So I just do the service on them myself by making sure that the gauge is still showing pressure and just flipping them over a few times just to get that dry can powder um, agitated.
0: And so if you do flip them over and you, you don't hear that powder moving around, it's time to take them in and get service, uh, It's
2: not. No, what you can do is you can take a rubber mallet. Don't take a steel mallet. Take a rubber mallet and just kind of bang it lightly. Um, and hopefully that'll loosen the powder up. And then what you can do is just try to flip it again to see if you can actually hear that powder. That usually works. I haven't seen that not work. Um, but, yeah, if you, if you do all of that and you still can't hear it, it's probably time to have it serviced at that point.
0: Yeah, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then for those uh, traveling in vehicles or want, or want to have an extinguisher in the vehicles or a certain type that you guys recommend uh, people be carrying in the vehicle?
2: Dry cam again. Um, I mean, you can't yeah. carry water because especially in climates like ours, it's going to freeze in the wintertime. Um, CO2 is is just not right for vehicle fires. Um, I, I would say I would stick with the, just the, the, the basic ABC um, dry cam extinguisher. Yeah, and then those can be left out in like extreme heat and extreme yes. cold. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, those are, I mean the dry chem extinguishers, that's what you see affixed to the outside of like garbage trucks and um, utility trucks and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you see them in the extreme heat of the summer, you see them in the extreme colds of the winter, you know, they, they are designed to, you know, be outdoors. And I mean, you see these, the dry chem extinguishers are what you see at the gas day station stations, right? So right. these, these things are enduring all these temperatures all year, year round and, and They would work fine.
0: Yep. perfect. Uh, now I know we've mentioned a little bit in regards to refilling them. Uh, Cost wise, beneficial to just have them refilled, or looking at just going out and buying new. Or what would Still- be your recommend, recommendation there?
1: Refill, refill them absolutely. As long as the like, as long as the outside is in good condition. Um, every I want to say it's every ten years. Uh, they have to be, go through a hydrostatic test just to make sure that they haven't uh, that the, the the container hasn't been compromised. But it's uh, it's absolutely worth it. It's you know twenty five or thirty bucks to, to have it refilled once it's been used. Um, and something else that I I often forget to mention is with those dry chem extinguishers, no matter what, as soon as you squeeze that handle, it has to be refilled. So if you're going to discharge that extinguisher, empty it. Uh, it's just one of those one of those best practices. It's going it's going to have to be refilled either way. So you might as well get your money's worth and, and discharge the whole thing. But um, around here anyways, uh, there are a couple of places that can do it. Um, you're, you'll lose access to it for a day or two. And, you know, 25 or 30 bucks later, you've got uh, you've got a, a fire extinguisher that's ready to go again. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's every 10 years, it has to be hydrostatically tested just to make sure that the c- container is not compromised. Uh, and at that point it might be, it might be more, uh, economical to, um, replace it, but obviously price it out because it, it's going to vary by manufacturer and vary by size and vary by vendor as well.
0: Good to know. Uh, left on on my uh, list of questions here. Uh, as far as like a field expedient type of home extinguishing, um, say you don't have access to a, a fire extinguisher right away, um, other than water, what would be some ideas like baking soda or something like that?
1: Well, so you've got the fire triangle, right? You've got to re- either remove oxygen, remove heat or remove fuel. Um, a big bucket of water on a campfire puts out, puts out campfires pretty quick. Um, for liquids, uh, right, your gas, you know, your, your, your puddle of gasoline in the driveway, um, cover up the liquid, uh, sand does a really good job of that, uh, fine gravel, um, and then smother it, right? You can you can get rid of the, uh, if you can exclude the oxygen, we talked about having a tight-fitting lid on your, for your cooking, your cookware, um, that will help exclude the oxygen really quickly. Um, so any of those, any of those are good. Um, baking soda in sufficient quantities should theoretically, um, smother a fire, but you've got to have a whole lot of it and apply it really quickly in order for it to be beneficial.
0: All right. Yeah,
1: Mostly of... yeah. by, by, by a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Good hey, can
2: know. you guys still hear me? Yep. Okay, yeah, sorry, I just had an audio issue. Um, All right.
0: Yep. Uh, and then one other question, just in regards to uh, CO detectors. Uh, I know we can get them here, uh, like combination smoke and, and CO detector. Um, thoughts on those better to have them separate, combined. uh Um,
2: I don't think, I, I, I don't think there's a difference when you get it separate or combined. Um, I mean, the two things I'll say about it is that, you know, if you have, um, a source of carbon monoxide in your home, um, obviously it's, it's, it's a must have, right? Um, I mean, I have one in the garage, just when I have the vehicles in there or small engines or anything like that. Um, the other thing, too, is that these typically have a shelf life or a usable life of about 10 years. And what we see a lot is that uh, we get a lot of false alarms that are triggered by um, alarms uh, like fire alarms or CO2 alarms that have gone past their 10 years. Um, so, you know, uh, they'll typically say either the date of manufacture or like an expiry date. Um, just make sure you check that when you check the batteries and, and make sure that you replace it on, on or around the 10 year uh, mark. Uh, because the sensor yeah, and same goes out.
1: for smoke detectors.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That's mainly just because the the sensor going bad on them.
2: Yeah, and it it can trigger a lot of false alarms. Um, and you know, unfortunately, when these are connected to an alarm company, uh, we respond. It's a false alarm. You for the first one's free, and then the next one you get fined. Right, so um, cheaper to get a new uh, smoke alarm than it is to pay the fine. So fair enough.
1: Around around here, it's about four hundred bucks a response for that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right yep cheaper
0: to replace the alarms <laughs> uh do you guys have anything else you want to uh to add in before i move into the podcast challenge
1: no enough for me um keep keep your equipment keep your equipment up to uh up to snuff like if you especially if you have like a wood stove or uh um, a wood or gas burning fireplace uh make sure that service especially if it's a wood stove make sure that seals properly um carbon monoxide is i mean it's it's the silent killer right you can't see it you can't smell it you can't taste it but it will, it will kill you. It will kill you quickly. Um, if you have any fuel burning appliances, then make sure that you have something, um, you have a CO detector, a smoke detector in the area where you congregate. And the closer between the source and you um, that it is, the more likely that it is to go off and alert you before, uh, before it gets to a dangerous level. And it really doesn't take a whole lot of carbon monoxide to kill you. Uh, it, it displaces oxygen in your bloodstream. It stops your blood's ability to absorb oxygen, which starts killing off your tissues very, very quickly. So um, especially if you've got a wood stove, make sure it's serviced properly. Uh, make sure that it's exhausting properly. Make sure that you have a detector because it's frankly, it's just a stupid way to die.
0: Yeah, doesn't sound like any fun either. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move into the podcast challenge. So for this episode, uh, we're going to say make uh, make sure the batteries are uh, changed in all your detectors, whether they're CO2, smoke detectors, combination, whatever. Uh, make sure the batteries are, uh, are switched out and then uh, start doing that every daylight savings time change. That's uh, a fairly standard thing. Uh, but we're also going to say um, try to make sure there's at least one fire extinguisher per floor in your house and uh, maybe one in the garage. Uh, check on their serviceability as well uh, and and start maybe uh, servicing them once a month. Uh, like Hughes mentioned, Get it, tip them upside down, just give them a listen. Uh, and then from there, start to build out your, your fire suppression plan. So uh, start with the one extinguisher and then maybe move to, to one more in another room and just keep expanding it as you go. Uh, if you come up I'm with gonna, some uh, interesting spots to store them, let us know as well at uh, feedback at prepper podcast.ca.
1: I got to add that up. Add to that really quickly. Um, when you're checking the batteries, make sure you check the expiry date on your on your smoke detectors and your ah. CO alarms. Make sure that they're, they're yep. the, make sure they're still within their service range. There the two risks are either that it's going to go off when it's not supposed to, which is not bad, or it's not going to go off when it is supposed to. And that's what yep. that's that's a really bad situation.
0: All right. And then when you do uh, do that, flip us an email at the feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. Let us know some spots that you found to uh, to store a fire extinguisher, and uh, maybe it's a spot that not everybody has thought of, but uh, is a good idea. And then we can get that out to all the listeners, and we can all start uh, kind of exchanging ideas as to where to store them besides the uh, the obvious spots of the, the most commonly used areas. Uh, so let's move into episode closing. So we've got a couple of upcoming events. Uh, we've still got the uh, the annual Preppers Meet coming up in Desborough, Ontario. Runs uh, July eleventh to fourteenth. Check out uh, the theannualpreppersmeet.com for that and get your tickets. I uh, just met up with uh, Che, the, one of the organizers there today, uh, and passed off some radios. So they've got uh, some, some comms for uh, for this year's event. They were short a few, so uh, they've got enough now that all their staff can uh, communicate effectively. And also dropped off the water bob that, uh, that Rapid Survival has uh, donated for the, uh, the raffle table. So uh, make sure you get out there and, and check them out. Uh, it's always a good time. Uh, July the 6th, we've got the uh, Podcaster Charity Shoot out in Drumheller, Alberta. Uh, All are welcome. Uh, Some planned events include the uh, Maple Seed course and a Stop the Bleed course. And, uh, of course, the Pig Roast. And uh, as uh, Ian said last episode, not the dirty kind, the actual uh, animal. Sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ian will be out there uh, for that, uh, as well as uh, Gavin from uh, the other CPP there, the uh, Canadian Patriot podcast. Uh, so go out and uh, say hello, meet the two of them in person. Um, another event learn here. Learn some things. Uh, yeah, learn some things. Exactly. Sign up for the Stop the Bleed course. Uh, another thing here in uh Campbell River, uh, BC, the Campbell River uh, Gun Club, uh, June 22nd, uh, Project Mapleslead. Uh, they got a marksmanship course uh, topped with twenty uh, twos. Uh, all shot 25 yards, uh, simulated up to 400 yards with uh, small targets. Uh, June 23rd is uh, the Canadian Rimfire Precision Series match. Uh, so you can check out rimfireprecision.ca slash events for that uh also for the uh, project maple seed we've got uh an Eventbrite link that is in the uh, show notes you can check out uh mapleseedrifleman.com uh they were looking for uh a few more people to come out to that so uh if you're in the area or are looking for uh, some sort of uh shooting event to get out to you, you've got a couple on the list now so so check all those out they're good events to get to and you guys have any other uh, events or anything you want to get
2: out no, not for me. Um,
1: no, I, I'm not for not for me. Uh, it's uh, uh, I'm gonna be heading uh, heading to the East Coast coming up in actually on that weekend of July sixth. So maybe uh, um, uh, Hughes, you and I can uh get together for an afternoon. I'm gonna be not terribly far away. So for sure, there you go.
0: All right, let's move into some shoutouts. Let's see, Alan, you're uh feverishly typing away there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's there's no there's no time like the last minute to do that. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Benoit and the team at Reinhold Max. Um, they sent this out to us. That's pretty awesome. Um, we got I got. I've got this one here for me. I've used part of it, but it's still completely usable. Uh, and I was able to send one on to Eric and one on to Ian. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, so really yep. appreciate, appreciate you guys it. sending this to us. And uh, look for look for this product at Lowe's, at Rona, or directly on their website. Save yourself a little bit of money. Remember the the code CPP10 at checkout and save yourself 10%.
0: Awesome. Uh, any shout-outs for you, Hughes? Uh, no, not for me. Thanks. All right. Uh, so moving to email and iTunes. So um, as I mentioned, uh, up at the news art or article section, uh, we did have one email since the last episode, uh, just letting us know about a couple of news events that have happened. Uh, by all means, if you, if you see news articles you think we should be covering, uh, please send them in. Don't mind getting those emails at all. Uh, the person emailed us requests to stay anonymous, uh, which we will, of course, um, honor. So won't be naming any names there. Uh, and keep that in mind as well if you want to send an email in to us. Uh,
1: on a totally to unrelated note, hi, uh, Steve.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not the person's name we emailed. If anybody's got, or wondering, um, but yeah, so I have no idea. I'm just making that up. Yeah. <laughs> you know we're close, by the way. Um, but yeah, you can email us and ask to stand on <laughs> uh, As far as iTunes reviews go, we're up to twenty six five stars. We still got that one little guy at the uh, the four star, but uh, don't uh, don't worry about that little guy. He's, he's just there. Um, and then. And Podbean, uh, nothing on Podbean since the last episode, and uh, no no more uh, no new written reviews on iTunes either. So with that, I will bring episode number twenty six of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out; take a few minutes, submit a review, just not a four star. Uh, it helps us uh, and other people find us. Uh, you can also find us at PrepperPodcast.ca, and if you want to throw that four star in, go for it. Awesome. You're up.
1: Oh, that's me. Hey, we record these (laughs) shows live on YouTube chats, which is actually what I was looking for to see if there was any comment there. Uh, If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. Uh, If you want to contact me directly, you can find me on Instagram at PPSWO.
2: Uh, And for myself, I can be reached via email at hfxprepper at gmail.com. And I've also got my own YouTube channel. Um, Just search for HFX Prepper on YouTube.
0: Awesome. Uh, So please check out Rapid Survival at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat. Uh, You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us. You can tune in for the next episode uh, where we're going to be covering off everyday carry in a Canadian environment. From a legal standpoint, that one's a mouthful, and I'm sure it's going to be a good one. (laughs) So until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.